You're going the wrong way, right? Good morning, everybody. Uh, we're so glad that you're here. I'm guessing that's not what you expected to happen watching that video. Like, what? what? Where is Pastor John going with this, right? I have no idea where that's from or who this kid is or what what's happening there, but he is clearly going the wrong way, right? You can collectively hear the crowd go, no, in whatever language uh, they're speaking there. And it, as hilarious as that is, watching him run the complete opposite away, away and it's how obvious it is, I don't think that the little child is actually the focus of that video. I think it's this guy, right? This guy right here with his amazing wardrobe there. But th this guy is, I don't know if he's a dad or a coach or just an adult supervisor that's there or something like that. But he, unlike everybody else, when the kid was running away, right, he takes off running and he chases him down. That Play that video out uh, longer. He's the one that chases him down and he refused to let him continue to go the wrong way. If there was a focus of our scripture that you heard read this morning from Jonah, if there is a focus of our message today, it's that our Heavenly Father is very much like that dad or that coach in that video. Because what we're going to discover today is that God doesn't run away from runaways. Let, let that sink in for a second. God doesn't run away from runaways. Now, the thing is, that's a really silly example with little consequence, right, uh, of, 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 a, of a race, a kid's race. But I think if we're honest, if there's something that all of us have in common today, it's that we haven't followed God perfectly in our lives either, have we? Whether it's the last 10 years, the last year, the last month, the last week. I don't think we had a show of hands if anybody just nailed it to perfection, the Christian life this week. Nobody's raising their hand, right? Because this side of heaven, that's not what happens. We all know what it's like to run, just like this little child, to run the opposite way that God is calling us. And rather than a race like that that doesn't mean anything, in the race of life, our disobedience matters. In real life, in the race of life, when we're going along, our disobedience, our rebellion against God, it matters. And the choices that you and I make affect each other and affect the people around us greatly, maybe more than we know. And nobody knows that reality better than our good friend Jonah. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Jonah. We're going to start in chapter 1, the book of Jonah in the Old Testament. Now, I don't know about you. Uh, the Gospels are great. The New Testament is great. I've really enjoyed our last few sermon series uh, that have gone through some books of the Old Testament. Any other Old Testament fans out there that like the Old Testament? Okay, kind of geek out on that a little bit. I love the Old Testament. I love Jonah. If you've got it on your phone or your Bible app, you can go to the book of Jonah. We're going to start in chapter 1. So we kicked this series off last week as we're going through that in the month of September, and it's called A Whale of a Tale, which is why you're surrounded by water in the city of Nineveh and a giant whale in the back and fishnets all over the place today. And what we discovered, though, is that the story, beyond what you may have learned in Sunday school, the story of Jonah is not about a really big whale. It's actually about a really big God. And it's about a really big God that has a plan and a purpose for your life, a God who is the hero of this story. The story of Jonah is actually about a God that does three things. He's the central character. It's a God that does three things. Number one, we learned last week, a God that calls. Number two is we're going to focus on today a God that intervenes, and as we'll focus on next week, a God that redirects our path. And so that's kind of the, the meta view of the, the book of Jonah, the story of Jonah. Those three things, it's about a God who today our focus is who intervenes. And so if you were gone last week or you just need a refresher, a reminder, God comes to Jonah 
a prophet and tells him to go to Nineveh. And so I showed you this map last week just as a refresher of where we're at in the story. Kind of in the bottom right down by Israel and Judah is where Jonah gets that original call from God. And he's called to go to Nineveh, which is just off the screen there in the land of Assyria over there. And so he's called to go there, which is a pretty short trip. Instead, he goes all the way, goes down to Joppa and goes all the way across the Mediterranean Sea to try to get to Tarshish. And that's where we know that God intervenes. And we'll get to that part of the whale of a tale in just a second here. But it's important to know that God called Jonah to go to the Ninevites, who we know were the, the rivals, the, the arch nemesis, the arch rivals <laughs> of God's people. And I know this has nothing to do with anything going on in our world today, so we'll just skip right. Oh, wait, I, you guys, I have no idea how these things get up on the screen. I just, I don't, I don't know. You know that your pastor is a Hawkeye fan, so let me just say this, okay? God gives grace to the humble and opposes the proud, so I'm not going to gloat over my enemies today. That's not what we're called to do. But as a Hawkeye fan, I can say that was an awesome game <clears throat> with a terrible ending. Can we all agree on that, Hawks? That game deserved a better ending, okay? So if you didn't watch it, if you don't care about sports or whatever like that, so Iowa State was catching the punt. It was like a minute 30 left. They were going to drive down the field, and they just run into their own player, right? And here's the thing. I was thinking about this as I was getting ready this morning. Like, what is the tie-in with Jonah? And here's the deal, okay? The Iowa State player that ran into the guy that was trying to catch the ball was going the wrong way, whether in a football game or in life or in the story of Jonah, right? Sometimes the difference between winning and losing is what direction you're headed. Amen? Amen. Too soon, Cyclone fans? Too soon? Okay, I'll stop. Too soon. Okay. I'll stop there, okay? Here's the thing, okay? If he doesn't run into him and, and the return man catches the ball, he's probably going to touch it. He's going to run 10 or 15 yards. They've only got about 30 yards to get in field position. Brock Purdy leads him down the field, and I am standing up here today as a Hawkeye fan complaining that it was the weather that was the issue, okay? That's the difference, okay? So can we all agree, even though we're Hawks and Clones and Panthers and Bulldogs and whoever else, Packers, you know, Vikings, whatever, we're all on different teams. We are on one team as the body of Christ, and thank God that there are bigger things in life than 19 and 20-year-old college boys running into each other. Amen? Okay? There's more to life than that, and we can celebrate than that. So we are on the same team. Turn to the person next to you and say, brother, sister, we're on the same team. Tell them that right now. We're on the same team, all right? We are on the same team, all right? God said, go, and Jonah said, no. God said, go, and Jonah said, no. And that's the story of the first couple chapters. So Jonah goes down to Joppa, gets on a boat to sail for Tarshish, and that's kind of where we left off last week. Jonah's right in the middle of his rebellion. He's essentially a runaway from God. As we discovered last week, it's easy to give Jonah a bad rap. Jeez, you went completely opposite direction. Like, who is this guy? He's such a, a rebel. But that's not really me. But just like the little boy and the, and the little child in the opening video, we all run away from God in different ways, just like Jonah. It's just that our disobedience and our rebellion is not always out there. It's in here. Where maybe other, even other people can't see it, and the only people that know are you and, well, the God that created you. And so as we dig deeper into this into this story, we're going to start seeing ourselves in Jonah more and more in the ways that you and I run the opposite direction as well. And the first one is this, is that we run away a lot in our judgment. We run away a lot in our judgment. If you remember back to the beginning of the story, why didn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh? Do you remember? I don't think it, the, the text never says because Jonah was scared of the Ninevites or anything like that. It's flat out, he didn't like them. He hated them. 
They were, the, they were the, the arch rivals, the nemesis, the rebels against God. And because of that, Jonah wanted judgment upon them, not God's mercy. And Jonah knew, he's a smart guy, if I go and I preach God's love and his mercy and his grace to them, they might repent and God might forgive them. And I don't want to have that happen to my enemies. Instead, Jonah wanted them to get what they deserve. So I'm not going to go and be a part of that. You ever been there? Are those people or those groups of people that you just love to hate? I mean, I can't think of any hypotheticals, you know, about the people that may cheer for a different football team, right? People that you love to hate, whether they're a hawk or a clone or somebody, you know, a Republican or a Democrat or anywhere in between. Maybe it's somebody that's hurt you. And there's nothing that you long for more than for those people or that person to get what's coming to them. For them to be proven wrong just kind of feeds your, feeds your soul a little bit, right? For them to be guilty, for them to be punished, and even in our flesh, I wish they would fail. And we have that a part of us. It's called a thirst for justice. And all of us have it, but what we and Jonah often forget is that grace is a great concept until it's being offered to your enemies, Oh, I want it for myself. I mean, I want the ability to screw up again and again so I can come crawling back to the, to the cross and experience that grace, but not them. You ever find yourself thinking that God grades on a curve? Well, I, I don't think I'm as bad of a person as they are. I haven't sinned like them or I haven't done that. I got news for you. God doesn't grade on a curve. God grades you against perfection of which you're not and that's why we need grace because none of us are ever going to measure up, right? We thirst for justice just not for ourselves. And often we forget that whether it's a political enemy on Facebook or a friend who has wronged us or maybe a former relationship from previous in your life that wounded you deeply, here's what we need to remember. And I love how the late Billy Graham puts this. He said this. It's God's job to judge. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's my job to love. And when we get those mixed up, when we get those twisted is when we get into trouble. And we forget that, and so did Jonah. And you see that running away isn't just out there. We can run away in here. But Jonah and our running doesn't end there. You see, God had called Jonah to a very specific purpose, okay? He is a prophet. That's his job. That's what he does. Go to Nineveh and preach to them. And Jonah, at this point, really thought that he could get away with avoiding God's call. And we do this avoidance thing all the time as well. Maybe if I can get really far away, Jonah thinks, then I won't have to step into the calling that God has put on my life, and we are no different. Now, I don't think anybody of, of, of us here today is being called to go to a foreign country and preach God's judgment against them, right? But all of us have felt that nudge, whether it's in a sermon or a worship service or a Bible study or a small group or you alone with God or driving in your car or wherever. You know, like sometimes the Holy Spirit is kind of like that hand that just comes in the small of your back and just kind of goes... And just moves you forward. I need you to step into this. God's calling me to do this, whatever it is. And we do everything that we can to avoid it. You ever get in a little chess match with God? I want you to go here. I want you to talk to this person. I want you to say this. I want you to pray. Nope, not going to do it. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yeah. And that all just happens inside of our hearts and our soul. It might be something that we avoid as simple as reaching over and looking in the cubicle next to us and checking in with a coworker that we know is going through a difficult time. 
Maybe it's something as simple as following the, the, the calls for God that we avoid. It's that parent that's sitting next to you on the bleachers or is going to be sitting next to you on the bleachers all fall at your kid's game, and you know they're going through a really difficult time. Why don't you offer to pray for them? No, I don't want to do it. Why don't you offer to pray for them? No, I don't want to do it. These are the types of conversations that when we walk in step with the Holy Spirit, you're going to be having in your head all the time. Because as you're having horizontal conversations with people around you, with your coworkers, with your friends, with your neighbors, with your family, with your kids, we're always having a vertical conversation, right? Because we're always talking to God. Holy Spirit, what do you want me to say to him? And when he says it, are you going to do it? Are you going to avoid it? We love to avoid. For others of you, what we avoid is pursuing your spouse. Because a lot of you have stopped dating after getting married. The pursuit, the hunt, the chase, it's really sexy. It's really flashy. And then you get married. And then it ends, sadly. Marriage is about pursuing each other, the wife pursuing the husband, the husband pursuing the wife, with the same love that Christ has first pursued you. And we avoid that. We know we're called to do it. The Holy Spirit's moving us into that. And we don't step into it. Maybe it's following through on a dream that God has placed on your heart, but for whatever reason, you have been avoiding it for years. Just like Jonah, you're running away from that call that God's put on your life. For some of you, it's, it's here. <laughs> it's here in your church family. God's been calling you to, to take a step of faith, and you felt that nudge sitting here in worship, like, I, yeah, I, I need to join. Not, not I need to out of obligation. This is what you're calling me to. It's a God thing. God, you're calling me to join a small group. Somebody's invited me in. Somebody's invited you to go out for coffee or lunch to get to know them more, to, to take core, which starts tonight. And you, you hear those calls, and the Holy Spirit's like, go, go. And you're like, no, no, go, go. And it's this back and forth with God, right? Are you yielded to God? Are you surrendered to him? Are you in this constant battle against the Holy Spirit? For some of you, God has made you a leader, He's put it inside of you. And somewhere along the line, just like Jonah, you believe the lie that God gave you this call so that you could keep it to yourself. God gave you this faith. God gave you this maturity. God gave you these experiences. So I could say, whoa, look at me and how many books I've read. How many Christian books I've read. How many books of the Bible I've read. Wow, look at me and how many Bible studies I've led. Wow, look, do you, would you believe that maybe God gave you that faith so that you could share it with other people? That God did something amazing and did a miracle in your life or rescued you for something that maybe God wants it's for somebody else for you to share your testimony. And the Holy Spirit keeps nudging us forward and nudging us forward. And just like Jonah, sometimes we just avoid it. But our running doesn't end there. We're so much like Jonah. It's scary. We read at the end of chapter 1 that Jonah is now aboard this boat, that he's gone down to Joppa, and he's aboard this boat, and suddenly a great wind comes up, and this huge storm, like a, like a Jack Trice Stadium-type rainstorm, thunderstorm, <laughs> comes up around him. And these sailors are freaking out. These experienced professional sailors are freaking out, and they're wondering what to do. Well, Jonah, by this time, is revealed to them and told them that, like, well, I'm kind of running away from God, so, you know, maybe that's why we're in the middle of the storm. And something has shifted in Jonah in his heart because we read this, verse 12 in chapter 1. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that this is my fault and that this great storm has come upon you. Now, there's two ways to read that statement from Jonah. Number one is like, great job, Jonah. Way to take ownership of your sin. You know, you're not trying to avoid it. That's great. Thank you, Jonah. The other one, I think, is maybe a little bit more accurate to the story. A little deeper is this. It's actually a picture of how absolutely guilty Jonah feels in this moment. How much self-hatred, 
how much condemnation, what a low self-worth Jonah has. Just throw me over. Jonah is conceding to the fact that my story is over. My mistake, my disobedience, my rebellion is the end of God's call for me. God has revoked his call on my life, so you might as well just kill me because it's done, I'm over with. At least if you stay on the boat, even though it's a storm around you, you still have the opportunity to be saved. Jonah says, stick a fork in me, I'm done. God's, God's done with me, I might as well just end it all. I mean, we talk about that and you read through the lines, here's some things we don't talk about in church enough and need to more because it affects so many people and that's depression. Would you believe that maybe Jonah's self-hatred and condemnation that he's believing from the enemy has led to a place where he is just flat out depressed? And that is a very complicated topic that we do not talk about nearly enough. Just throw me over. <laughs> Jonah is riddled with guilt. And he doesn't think he has an outlet for it. And you've got to know this. If you're hurting today, if you're struggling, if you're at the end of your journey and you're like, just figuratively throw me over, please reach out for help. You're not alone. If you're hurting today, don't keep it to yourself. God has not revoked his call and his plans and his purposes on your life, but Jonah is riddled with guilt, which always follows rebellion. Jonah is riddled with guilt that always follows rebellion. Some of you, what has you running away just like Jonah is that you are riddled with guilt over a mistake that you made 15 years ago. And to this day, it is the blockade that is standing in the way of you stepping into the next season of your life. 15, 20, 25 years ago, a year ago even, God says that's too long. Last week, yesterday is too long to live in condemnation because because of the cross, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is too heavy of a burden for you to carry and you don't have to carry it anymore. You are loved and you are forgiven by the God of the universe who gave his life through his son Jesus Christ on that cross. You've got to know that today. God is for you not against you, and he loves you, and he forgives you. Some of you are believing that lie of the enemy today that I screwed up. I messed up, and because what I've done or something that's happened to me, it's over. It's done with. God couldn't use somebody like me unless we have a God of second chances, unless we have a God of third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances. If you read the book of Jonah and are not absolutely in awe of the extravagant grace of God, we're not reading the book of Jonah correctly. The book of Jonah isn't about Jonah. It's not about a big fish. It's about the incredible extravagant grace that God has for you. He's a God of second chances and third chances because God doesn't run away from runaways. And so eventually the crew decides we're going to throw Jonah overboard. And even though it takes a giant storm and a big fish, God intervenes, intervenes even in a story like Jonah. Let's take a look about what it might have looked like that day. And God intervenes. And God intervenes. There's two things I want you to see here. Number one, did you hear the guy when he's like, Jonah says, throw me overboard, right? In this big storm. Did you hear the guy? Let's do it! <laughs> Some of you are like that guy. Heard a lot of those guys at the game yesterday. Go Huggers! Right? All that kind of stuff. Number two, did you hear Jonah? When the guy asked, who are you? I'm, I'm Jonah. I'm God's, I used to be God's prophet. 
some of you are saying the exact same thing today. I used to be a good mom. I used to be a good dad. Used to be a good wife, used to be a good husband, used to be a good friend. God used to have a call in my life. I was going to do great things for God, but then fill in the blank happened. And now everything's just derailed. The amazing thing about Jonah's story, God never takes away the call. And he hasn't for you either. Even in the middle of Jonah's rebellion, God never says, oh, you screwed up, you're done, you're not my prophet anymore. His identity has not shifted and neither has yours. God hasn't taken that away from you. Now I want you to look at verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Notice the word there. The Lord provided, meaning he used it. He controlled it. He willed it to happen. God was not up in heaven during the storm and during this whale that comes and eats Jonah going, no, right? This is out of control. That wasn't my plan. God is behind it all. Look at verse four. We read, and the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. God is behind all of this. These aren't a series of random events. God is involved in Jonah's story, pursuing him even in the middle of his, him running away. Even in the middle of his rebellion, God as a good and loving father pursues us. To give you a little bit more of a practical modern day example of this, I could not help but think, it was about last year, uh, those of you know we have a six-year-old and a four-year-old. A four-year-old uh, is Everly. She, when she was three, uh, we were hanging out after the service, and this was uh, out in the lobby about a year ago, hanging out, talking to some people. And those of you know, like we like to have our kids with us. We're not a family with mission; we're a family on mission. And so we like to have our kids help us with different things before and after worship. And so she was helping me with a few things, but she wasn't coming. And the lobby was full of those of you. And so we were out, and so I'm like, "Evie, let's go. We need to go to my office." And I was surrounded by people, by all of you there, and she's over there in the lobby, and I'm way over here, and I say, Evie, it's time to go, and she goes, no! And like, there's all the sass and poutiness that a three-year-old can have, and I'm like, okay, well, here's a really great opportunity to show my amazing parenting skills to everybody <laughs> in the church here. So I try it again, and I, and I keep my composure, and I try it again, I say, Everly, that's a one. I would like you to come with Daddy to his office. No! Okay? I'm like, okay, great. And like all these eyeballs are watching. Because like pastors' kids never misbehave. <laughs> and so I try to keep my cool, right? You know, I'm sure your kids have never done this in church. And I walk over to her because I don't want to be condemned. I don't want to talk down to her as an adult. And so I kind of kneel down by her and I try to grab her shoulder. Now, there's about five or six young couples that are just like, let's see how Pastor John does this, okay? Everything, and they're just watching me. It's kind of like a showdown at the OK Corral here with my daughter, okay? I'm like looking at her, and she's looking at me, and I kneel down by her, and I kind of grab her shoulder, and I go, Everly, this is not okay behavior. I would like you to come to Daddy's. And before I can even finish, no, 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 no! And in that moment, young parents, do you know like the look that you get from other young parents when your kid's in Target rolling on the floor freaking out? It's that you don't have to say anything. You know, you just get that look from a mom or a dad that's like, I got you, bro. Like, we're, we're in this together. You know, you don't have to say anything, you know, like you got this, right? And so in that moment, what I'm left with is that I just pick her up 
and she is kicking and screaming and hitting and kicking and swinging. And I'm just walking through the parade of Hope Des Moines, folks. There goes Pastor John and his parade of perfect parenting upstairs in the office, just rocking the whole parenting thing. This is how you do it, folks. Watch and observe, right? Because... <laughs> yeah. Watch and observe. Because here's the thing. There comes a time when you've got to intervene, and I, I loved her too much for her to stay in her rebellion because that's not who she is. And our job, by the way, side note, this is just for free, parents. Our job isn't to fix our kids and make them who we want them to be. Our job is to partner with God and ask him, God, who are you making them and how can I mold and shape them into the man or woman of God that you've created them to be? Yeah, she's having a massive meltdown in front of the entire church. But ultimately, that's not my issue. That's between her and God, and I'm just coming alongside God. God, how do you want to use me in this young woman's life? My job is to see past her attitude and to the woman of God that he's making her. And that's your job as parents and grandparents and friends. Because there comes a time when loving parents intervene. And sometimes it's calling out for a distance, just like God did with Jonah. Sometimes it's calling out from a distance, and sometimes you've got to go and you've got to wrap your kid up in your arms and you just got to remove him and walk him out, right? We don't let him stay in disobedience because it's more than that. And I'm sure God was calling out to Jonah like that time and time again. Jonah's in the bottom of the fish, bottom in the, the boat running away from God. And I'm sure God was like, Jonah, that's a one, right? <laughs> Jonah, that's a two. If we get to strike three, we're going home, right? It's the same thing. And you start reading scripture that way, parents, and you go, oh my word, God is a father. He's not like a father. God is a father. And that's why he pursues Jonah. He's like, I'm going to do anything that I can to rescue you. And you don't view this as like, whoa, God set a storm. He's an angry God. God had Jonah get eaten by a whale. What is he doing, right? No, 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 no. This is like me coming up to Evie and picking her up because I love her so much. When God sent the storm and the whale, it was like God coming to Jonah and wrapping him up in his arms and saying, this is not who you are. You're my prophet. You're not a rebel. You're not a runaway. You're not a failure. You're my kid, and I have a plan and a purpose for your life, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to rescue you. And here's the fascinating thing about this story. The two things that God used to intervene in Jonah's life, the storm and the whale, okay, or the, the fish, getting eaten by a giant fish. I'm sure at the time, I have to believe it was hard for Jonah to see that those looked like a rescue. They probably seemed like anything but a rescue. They probably seemed like death, like the end of the story, more like death at the end. And when you look back on your life in those seasons where maybe you were running away from God, how many times did God's rescue plan not make sense at the time? God, what are you doing, right? Could it be that what we see as the end is actually God's rescue? I'm just going to go out on the limb and say this. Could it be that storms are sometimes a part of God's grace? A job that ends for you, that actually ends up clearing out space so that for a new role where God could even use you more effectively. And at the time, you thought, I lost my job. This is the end. 
How many times, in another example, how many times has God sent a friend or, or a mentor with words of advice or a hard truth that cut so deep? <laughs> you're, you're listening to a sermon, you're in a Bible study, you're in a small group, you're having lunch or coffee with a friend, and they just say that thing that's like, uh-uh, you didn't just say that, right? And those words just hurt, but they hurt because they're true. They hurt because they're true, and could that be a part of God's rescue plan, but you push against it. It's the advice that you needed, not what you wanted. Some of you are so lonely today. Some of you are looking for purpose in your life, for relationships, and you've been invited into a life group here at church. You've invited, you've been invited to take core. <laughs> you've been invited to serve, to be a part of a team. Somebody's tried to connect with you after worship, and you're like, not going there because it feels too vulnerable. Because what if they find out that I'm not a perfect Christian and I'm trying to be a part of a church? Like, how does that work? What if they find out the mistakes that I've made in my past? And so I'm just going to put on my happy church mask with my coffee and my donut hole and just act like everything's okay because it feels a little bit too vulnerable to put myself out there. Could it be that that person that is inviting you into a relationship is a part of God's rescue plan for a lonely and isolated life? Could it be that when somebody says, why don't you serve? Why don't you be a part of what God's doing here at the church as we serve the city? Could that be a part of God's rescue plan to rescue you from a purposeless life where it's all about you? God said, you were made for more than that. And I'm going to send people into your life as a part of my rescue plan, but you don't see it that way. Because you're convinced God is only going to intervene in my life this way. And if it's not this way, then it's not God. And God's like, I'm over here. I'm over here. But you don't see it that way. I love this prayer. It's from a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, one of my favorites by an author named Pete Scazzaro. He didn't write it. We're not quite sure where it came from, but it's been circulated a lot. And I think this prayer has a lot to do about how God shows up in unique ways least expected in our lives. This is somebody's prayer. I ask God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I ask for health that I might do great things, and I was given infirmity that I might do better things. This one kind of hits home. I asked for power when I was young that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need for God. Just stay there for a second. Go back to that slide just for a second. For some of you, that last one, that's your story. It's part of all of us. We keep going. Go ahead and go to the next one. I, was, I asked for all things that I might enjoy life, and I was given life that I might enjoy all things. Isn't that the way the gospel works? Some of you are looking everywhere for life. And Jesus says, it's right here. And if you get me, you get everything else. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything that I had hoped for. Some of you are like, story of my life, bro, right? Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. That's called grace. I am, among all people, most richly blessed. Could it be that just like me with my daughter, just like God with Jonah, God knows what we need infinitely more than we do, and that's why God is not afraid to intervene in your story again and again and again. You might keep running from God after you go home today, but I will guarantee this, God will not stop running after you. God will not let you settle for a lonely, isolated, purposeless life just like he did with Jonah. Now, does God cause every storm in our lives? I don't think so, but does he use every single storm to draw us closer to him and make us look more like Jesus? Absolutely. 
The other key detail here is in verse 17. Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. For three days, I'm sure Jonah thought, and probably everybody else thought, he's a goner. The rest of the sailors, he's dead, okay? And then later, on the third day, he was spit up on the beach. Jonah went from death to life. On the third day, as he went under the water and in the belly of the fish, then he came up out of the water and experienced new life three days later. Does that remind you of any other story in the book that you're holding today, right? It's all about Jesus, The Old Testament's all about Jesus if you'll just look a little bit deeper and don't just read the Bible that somebody else told you. Read it for yourself and you start seeing the gospel is everywhere. It's the baptism that some of you experience when you go under the water and come back up. And we know this because Jonah is different when he spit up on the shore. Jonah's a different person. Here's the thing. Resurrection follows death. It doesn't precede it. Resurrection follows death. It doesn't precede it. Physically, or for some of you, it's the death of a job. The death of a dream. The death of that picture in your head that you had of what life was supposed to look like by now. And it seems like that's died. But what Jonah learns and what we can learn, never turn down an opportunity to die. To yourself. Just let that sink in for a second. You might have to take that one home this week and wrestle with that. Never turn down an opportunity to die. And here's why. Jesus picks up on this theme in Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. Let's read this together up on the screen. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Okay? Jonah needed to have the rebellion refined out of him and God needed to take him under the water and have certain parts of him die so that he could rise again to new life to become who God had called him to be. And some of you are in a storm right now and some of you feel like you're laying in the belly of a big fish and it stinks. Life stinks. And God's saying, oh, this is just the beginning of your resurrection. We're just getting started. What happens before a plant rises up out of the ground and produces fruit? It's buried it's dead in the ground, and you think nothing's happening, and some of you are that seed that's been buried in the ground. Some of you are Jonah that's been buried in the belly of the fish, and you're about to get resurrected to new life. Don't skip over the process that God is taking you through. Jesus is the one that transforms us, but just like Jonah, he's calling us to get out of the way so that we can experience the life that we long for, okay? We don't find that life on our own. Jesus is the one that changes us but it's our surrender to Jesus that opens up the way for that to happen. Because when we arrive on the scene in Jonah chapter 2, even though he's in the dark, smelly, sticky, blah of a fish stomach, (laughs) Jonah has stopped running and he started to surrender. Amazing things happen in the belly of a fish. Let's take a look. Jehovah, 
Out of the depths of the grave, I cried to you for help. Please hear my voice. I know I have been driven away from your sight. How will I gaze again upon your holy temple? Oh, may my prayer come into you. With a voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. death to life. God doesn't run away from runaways. From Jonah or for you. He comes into our darkest, most difficult places of our lives and he intervenes and he gives us a fresh start and a second chance. Notice in chapter 2 that was read for us earlier, our text for today, this entire prayer, essentially this worship song from Jonah, where's that being done from? from the belly of a stinky fish. Jonah is having a worship service in the most unideal circumstances because Jonah discovered this. When your heart, when your life is yielded to God, worship is not contingent on your circumstances. Some of you come to church and come to worship when you feel like it. Some of you come to church, you come to worship when you feel like God's done something for you recently and he deserves some praise. God, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. Some of you come to worship because you feel like, well, I feel like things are going better for me, and so now I'll worship. But we discover from Jonah's when my heart is all in for God, I don't have to wait till I'm out of the belly of the whale. I can worship God when I'm buried in the ground. I can worship God in the belly while I'm under the water. I can worship God when all of my prayers have not been answered yet. I can worship God when I don't have the family I want or the child that I want or the spouse that I want or the job that I want. I can worship God when, when, whenever <laughs> because my worship is not all about me. It's always been about him. And just like Jonah, I worship God because he has rescued me from the depths and I know that he'll do it time and time again. And that is more than enough. Even if God never does a single thing more for me in my life, he is worthy of my unending worship from now into eternity. Amen? That's what worship is about. It's never been about us because what Jonah discovered is that the power of God's call is stronger than your rebellion. God doesn't run away from runaways. Why? Because that's not who we are. That's not who you are. God sees past your rebellion, past your failures, past your mistakes, past your apathy to this whole church thing, past your indifference, past your laziness, past your whatever it is, your fears, and he sees you, his sons and his daughters, and he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And some of you not, need to not just believe that up here. You need to let it all the way in this morning. He's not done with you Yet, God intervenes and his potential for our lives is always beyond what we can imagine. Whether it's us as individuals or it's us collectively as a church. And as a lot of you heard, some of you, maybe some of you weren't here 
last week, uh, you didn't have a chance to check your, your weekly e-news that we send out every single week, you know that uh, just as he did in Jonah's story, God has intervened in our story as a church in a pretty incredible way. And he has redirected our path from our original plans from our giving campaign last fall as we purchased the building to our north here on our facility and the alley in between. Our, our goal was that, and God came and intervened, and at just the right time, he brought to our attention this much, much larger church facility uh, that is right across the street from Drake University. And if you were here last week, you kind of heard the story about that. If you weren't, I really want to encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast from last week, as well as get on social media, Facebook and Instagram, and I wrote an entire multi-page letter about it that details you the why, the who, the what behind that all story. So for those of you that were here last week, I won't uh, rehash through the whole thing, but if you did miss it, I will say this, that God has provided this space for us, this five-story, 63,000-square-foot building for significantly less cost than we were going to invest in a renovation project here on Ingersoll. It's a stewardship issue, but ultimately it's a mission issue. God is calling us to this place to be on mission for the city. And so I have to tell you, (laughs) the response from you last week as a church, not only here in person, but through calls and texts and emails, was absolutely overwhelming. And the way that you responded to God's call, and even though I'm, I'm fully confident now more than ever that this move as a church probably sometime this spring to this new space, I'm fully confident that God's leading us in this way as a leader Here's a quick way to discover if you're a leader or not. If you look behind you and nobody's following, you're probably not a leader. And so going into last weekend, I was standing up and sharing this vision and and that we feel like God's given us as a church with all of you. And I had some other pastors and friends that were kind of sending me texts and saying, like, how did it go? How did the big announcement go? Because they know, like, this is kind of a big change. It absolutely is a big change. And I, I said, well, I didn't get any anything thrown at me on the stage last week. So I, I, I think it went pretty well. You know, I, think, I think people are with me. I think they're, think they're excited about it uh, in that way because here's the thing. It has become so clear <laughs> that this is way bigger than me. It's way bigger than you. It's way bigger than us. It's a, it's a God thing. It's a, it's a kingdom thing. And more than anything, I think, in this whole process as we shared this story with you, I have been blown away by your surrender as a church to God's plan. Just like Jonah, something has happened to you. Something has shifted in you as a church over the last decade, or maybe you've always been this way. I don't know. But you have become more and more a church that is yielded to the plans and purposes of God above all else. And that is a healthy church. When a church full of people is able to set aside their differences, their opinions, their agendas, and their own ideas about what they want church to look like and get out of the way and let God do his thing, that's when incredible things happen. And I feel like we're a part of that more than ever. When, When a church gets together and says, God, I've got my ideas, I've got my preferences, I've got my opinions, but God, whatever is best for your mission, I'm in. That's when amazing things happen. And more than anything, your response as a community has shown what the heart of this church is. Because when you go through a massive shift as a congregation that we're going to be going through over the next six months, there are a lot of things that could tear us apart. I'll be honest. I've seen it happen time and time again. 
There are a lot of things that we could focus on as a church, even without this big change. There's lots of things we could focus on. Yeah, we want to be a real church and have this big building, and we want to have more money and fancy programs, and everybody get to do what they want to do, and I want the color carpet this way, and I want chairs this way, and I want worship to be this way, and I want to sing these songs, and we want to have the perfect band, and all, all of that is well and good, but it is all secondary. When you get Jesus, everything else follows. When you're a church that lives on mission for him, everything else falls into place. And when we have a a church that has the mission, we ask this question, how can we as a church continue to reach out to the city around us with the everlasting love of Jesus Christ most effectively when that's the primary question? Man, we just get out of the way because nothing will be able to stop God. When we as a church are yielded to God, and I have to say because of that... um, yieldness of your heart as a church, just like Jonah's in the whale. I've just been giddy this week. I haven't been sleeping well, not because things are bad, but because I'm just giddy about this whole thing and what God is doing. It's like we, God doesn't show you the whole staircase, right? You've heard that. You just take the first step. It's like God shined some light on this vision. We took the first step and kind of shared this vision. In the last three or four days, I have given four different tours to three or four different Christian nonprofits, faith-based organizations here in town that see what we're doing as a church, and they're like, I want in on that. And all of a sudden, I'm like, holy cow, this isn't going to just be our future church home. This is going to be a center for mission and outreach in the hub of the city that multiple nonprofits and faith-based organizations want to come together and say, I don't care who gets the credit, because when you don't care who gets the credit, great things happen. And when it becomes, yeah, praise God, right? It is, it's not... It's never been about Lutheran Church of Hope. It's not about, well, look how big hope is and hope's buying all these buildings and starting all these campuses. It's never been about Lutheran Church of Hope. We don't care if our name is on these things or not. It's about growing the kingdom. And all of a sudden, it's like, I kind of feel like we're surrounded by these waves today. It's almost like this giant wave has just swelled up. And what do you do with a wave when you go to the ocean? Do you fight it? No, you grab your board and you say, surf's up, right? And you ride that wave of God's spirit. Turn to your neighbor and say, surf's up, dude. Tell him that right now. (laughs) Surf's up. You ride that wave, right, of what God is doing, and it it feels like that. And so I want to share just a couple important reminders for you. On your chair today, there is a uh, vision card for this vision night that we're going to have. And you may notice on that card, a few people have come up to me over the course of the morning and said, John, the date's not on it. I know. We screwed up. Isn't that awesome? Uh, (laughs) We're not a perfect church. If you needed another reminder of that, uh, Jed, we're not perfect. The band's not perfect. We're not, no, far from it. We screw up every week. So just if you needed a reminder, we screwed up. It's on Monday, September 23rd. Monday, September 23rd from 6 to 8, and this is an opportunity for you to come, invite your friends, invite your neighbors, and we're going to have a vision night where you're going to get to tour this whole facility. Uh, You are going to be able to, uh, we're going to worship together as a community uh, pastor Mike, our senior pastor, will be there, as well as Chris, our CFO. We're going to have the opportunity to ask any questions that you have about the church and grow together. This is not a come-and-go thing. This is not a, I'm going to come for a little bit, or I'm going to come at 7. You're going to want to be there and experience this for the whole night uh, as well. And then two weeks later, as we announced last week, two weeks later on Sunday, October 6th, we're going to have a special congregational meeting right here. Vision night is at 2500 University. Congregational meeting is here after the 11 o'clock service or whenever the preacher gets done being long-winded, then we will have a special congregational meeting to vote on selling these buildings and purchasing this building on university and using those funds for renovations. And as I mentioned last week, 
The hope is coming out so far ahead on that deal that we put that towards our interest payments and our general fund that in three to four years, we have a 63,000 square foot building and are debt free as a congregation. And I'm really, really excited about that. So praise God for that opportunity as well. Excited about that. So more than anything, what I've heard from all of you during this announcement in this last week has been gratitude. Is gratitude. Gratitude for what God has done and is doing. And just like Jonah, this prayer of thankfulness rises up, and that's how we want to end today, by doing exactly what Jonah did and saying in the belly of the fish and saying, my situation's not perfect. God, I don't know what the future holds. This is a little scary. I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to praise you in the middle of the storm. I'm going to worship you in the belly of the whale. I'm going I'm to say, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. You have saved me once, and you're going to do it again. God, you have a plan and a purpose for my life. God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for rescuing me, and thank, thank you, God, for this incredible vision and this incredible future that you've given us as a church. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship together.